Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports right now. I suggest you download the KDOS 1060 app, register, follow along with the rules for how you can get yourself entered to win the $100 gift certificate courtesy of Superbook Sports. That's going on for the rest of the month of June. It is Wednesday. It is June 21st. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's get things started here with the poll questions and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which is uh, is DeAndre Hopkins good enough to boost a contender into a conference championship team. Bob caught up with Josh Alper in the previous hour to talk about this and more around the NFL. You can always podcast over at KDOS1060.com. And the masses are now in a 50-50 split here between yes and no. All right. Maybe that's a good question. Uh, I think uh, by kind of addendum answer to this, uh, he most recently, recently visited New England and Tennessee. And I don't care if it's Hopkins or Dalvin Cook or both or whatever. I don't think either of those teams are NFL Super Bowl-level teams, even with those guys on their roster. We'll answer the question in totality around 11.30 today, flipping it on over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Who is the best AFC team heading into training camp? And surprised it remains this way as the options, of course, Buffalo, Miami, New England, and New York. And Buffalo continues to lead the way at 100% of the vote. Yeah, where are the swamps of Jersey people here? Man, if you told me it was going to be 100% of the vote, I thought it would have been the Jets. Uh, But maybe somebody... uh, or everybody possibly has realized, well, Rare Rogers might still be good. I'm not so sure about that. But even if he is, he doesn't have an offensive line in front of him. So maybe that's why there's no Jets love. I'm curious to see how much just being rejuvenated helps improve uh, some of the physical decline that we saw. That maybe there was a combination of just kind of blah, the team, and some physical decline last year for for Aaron Rodgers. I understand that theory, but whether you're enthused or not, if you're parallel to the ground, it's really hard to make a pass or complete a pass. I agree with that, yes. The only one that I know who can be parallel to the ground and complete a pass is um, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I knew that was coming. Uh, Speaking of which, I saw this... I think he he prefers to be parallel to the line of scrimmage or something. So, yeah. He might. You know, the upward pass is just too boring for him. Yeah, and he still throws like 
40 yards down the field, even if he's not you know, even set up to throw it 40 yards down the field. An absolute dart on target with velocity <laughs> parallel to the <laughs> ground, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, no problem. <laughs> I, I had actually completely forgotten about this, that uh, Netflix was going to be doing a series called Quarterback that was following a bunch of different quarterbacks around uh, the, from this past NFL season. And one of those is uh, Patrick Mahomes. And I happen to see that that's coming out like uh, here in July soon. So I'll have something to watch in July. I'm just curious to see how that all unfolds. It's going to be with Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and then Marcus Mariota as well. And Kirk Cousins, really? I know, but at They're least... To, that's going to draw ratings, Kirk Cousins. Okay. It, I'm sure part of the Mahomes thing will be... You know, he played in this charity. You know, he actually is part owner of the Royals, so it's part of the deal here. But he played in this charity softball game before a Royals game within the last couple of weeks and, like, was just, you know, obviously his dad played Major League Baseball and he has a base baseball background also, uh, you know, the current Mahomes. Uh, but you know, he, he, like, stole – I saw some highlights. I mean, my God, he's got serious baseball skills. It did not, he wasn't even pitching as a hitter. Uh, you know, so the the uh, release date is going to be July 12th, and then it's coming to you from the same uh, group of folks that put together Drive to Survive, the F1 series, as well as Full Swing, and then there happened to be a tennis-themed one with Breakpoint as well. But maybe the Kirk Cousins drama is going to be drama because of all of the uh, one-score games, one-point games that they won last year. Okay, I don't think they're you know, they're gonna have any of those this summer. Oh, I guess it's you know, since last year they you said yeah. So yeah, okay, I guess. And he did actually make a lot of winning plays in those little close games. A lot of he seriously did. So we'll see how that all unfolds. But that just got me thinking about that upcoming here in July. Speaking of July, did you know it's the first day of summer today? Um, now that you bring it up. Yeah, I just looked at my, you know, oh, yeah, June 21st. Yeah, for, okay, I remember that from back in the day when somebody told me that before. Yeah, we've <laughs> so. been experiencing summer for a while, and then I think next week we're really going yeah. to experience summer with 115 supposed to grace our presence. I thought it was kind of hot yesterday. I was out and about um, of, you know, doing some errands and so forth yesterday, and uh yeah, you know, getting out of the car, I remember this is a little hotter than it's been. <laughs> so, so we'll see. And usually, I don't care how hot it is, quite frankly. So I just remember back that I'm not scraping it. I've said this, you know, I've mentioned this line for twenty something years. I'm not scraping or shoveling it. I don't care how hot it gets in the summer. 602-260-1060. That's the number to join the program today. We'll take your calls around 10.30 and 11.15. Uh, the NBA draft, it's tomorrow. In the meantime, it's going to be about players here and their player options, whether or not they're opting in, opting out. This morning, you had Bruce Brown of the Nuggets opt out. To absolutely no surprise there. Uh, he could potentially be setting himself up for a major payday if he doesn't uh want to come back to the Denver Nuggets and kind of keep that thing going. But also for the Suns, the question marks are always what's going to be next. We obviously have the news from over the weekend with the Suns moving forward with Bradley Beal. Reports also indicating that they'd be getting Jordan Goodwin and Isaiah Todd in that trade. While the Suns are sending to the Wizards Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, multiple second round picks and pick swaps. Uh, the immediate reaction from most national people uh, in the 
instant reaction grades is that uh, the Wizards lost the trade and the Suns won the trade, that the Suns anywhere were getting from a B, B-plus to an A-minus in return with Bradley Beal joining the Suns. Uh, but one person who we have highlighted a lot on this show is John Hollinger of The Athletic. Obviously, his background being in front offices with the Grizzlies, uh, just his ability to kind of convey different things in regards to the cap, free agency, draft. Uh, he's really a wealth of basketball knowledge. He, however, is absolutely uh, not on board with this particular trade and calls it here, bold owner goes overboard. Uh, he says that the Wizards got a whole lot of not much and still won the trade is a testament to the Suns' willingness to do extremely splashy things under Ishbia. Here's a couple of reasons for why John Hollander... T- time out, time out for a second. I, I wish I would have actually written that because that's pretty much exactly what I think. And I think that, uh, you know, John nationally and myself locally, I think we're like the only two people on planet earth that believe that Or actually maybe, maybe they people believe it, but they don't have enough guts to say it or write it. Yeah, I was going to go through a few of these here and get your reaction and see if you uh, wholeheartedly agree with his point here because there's actually several points that he makes for why he doesn't think uh, this is a great deal for the Suns. Um, he, he starts off with the first point that, quote, Beal's contract is likely a negative. Even though the no-trade clause transfers over, he makes $42.5 million this season at age 30. He's a good player but pays like a great one between blah defense injuries and his weirdly disappearing three ball it's a real stretch to rank Beal among the league's 25 best players one I understand the contract situation he's set to make more than both Kevin Durant and Devin Booker this season we've talked about the defense on Monday's show we've talked about the injuries as well we talked about how great his mid-range game is I was a little stunned to see him say that it's a stretch to put him inside the league's best 25 players. I haven't seen enough of him, quite frankly, to know where he you know, ranks in the top 25 because I, you know, you know, I'm not completely out of my mind. You know, I don't watch like Wizards games. Uh, I think the only two times I watched them play last year were against the Suns, and I think he missed one of those two games. Uh, so, you know, I'm. I'm not uh, not sure how to judge that, but you know I think that uh, the fact that he's in his 30s, as John pointed out there, and that he's had now an injury. I think it, we can say an injury history because you know last year he only played 50 low 50s as far as games, and it's not the first time he's missed games. That's probably not going to get any better. He also continues on here to say that Beal and Booker starting. It either forces Booker into being the full-time point guard or one of the two being a full-time wing stopper. And I kid you not, in all capital letters, he writes LOL on the second one in referring to one of the two being a full-time wing stopper. I totally agree with that. And I think that one of the biggest uh, fallacies during the Suns postseason is that Booker suddenly became a good defensive player. He made a few good defensive plays in a couple of games, but he didn't stop anybody on a consistent basis. You know, how did he do against Jamal Murray? And uh, I guess some of that was him. Some of it was, you know, a lot of it was other people too. But, you know, this idea that he's a suddenly anything above average defensive player is hilarious to me. 
Hollinger then talks about Aiton's trade value and that it isn't huge with the lack of center emphasis in the league. Also, centers that are making $30 million a year like Aiton is. Uh, He goes on to say that how will Aiton's trade value improve if he touches the ball like four times a game? I wish I would have written or said that too. (laughs) So, and I'm an Aiton supporter uh, the only one, I think, in Maricopa County. Uh, but uh, I think that all of that is accurate. So I wanted to take a second to talk about DA and the potential trade scenarios here. And from from our perspective, do we think that the Suns have to trade him? Is, is this a must situation before they head into the season to move on from Aiton? Or does he have a role and does he have a valued role on this team? Okay, that last series of questions, I'm going to throw that back to you and you can answer that yourself. I don't think there is any deal that the Suns can make, whether it's Aiton or not, to add any. I can't imagine a deal that would get any kind of return that would improve their bench, which is pathetic right now. The bench. So answer answer your own question. I'm not in the camp that DA has to be traded. Um, I, I do think it's worth exploring to see if you can get something in return because y- you look at this deal. Uh, I know that Hollinger is on the side of that the Wizards won this trade, but if you're just looking at like player for player, uh, what the the Suns were able to get back certainly was much better than I think they are giving to the Wizards. So potentially there's something out there that uh, maybe might surprise us with what the Suns could get in return. But I am not of the mindset that he has to be gone in order for uh, this team to move forward to start the season. I'll, I'll disagree with one thing that Hollinger has come up with here. I don't think anybody won this deal. Um, yeah, I know that you know, the Suns are going to have a victory parade here. Uh, the same people that told me after the Durant parade, trade that there's going to be a parade. I'm guessing it's pretty much the same bunch of folks, and they're going to win their first ever championship. I think that that's a bunch of hooey. Uh, but I, I don't think the Wizards won the trade either because they, they lost their best player and they got nothing in return. And it appears, uh, according to many of uh, you know the so-called insider people in the NBA, that they're just gonna, they're not going to be able to find a trade partner for Paul, and he's just going to be bought out and end up with one of the Los Angeles teams. I do have one question. If the the team does move forward with D.A. on the roster here, we've kind of seen him over time that if his touches do diminish, that he kind of within the game gets a little bit disengaged. And if, you know, Hollinger's point here is how many touches, how's the ball going to be moving uh, with the Suns, with Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and uh, Devin Booker, how many touches is he really going to get? So therefore, uh, how engaged is he going to stay? Is that potentially a concern or uh, with Frank Vogel now at the helm and kind of reinvigorating how this is all going to work, that there just becomes way more of an emphasis on him on the defensive side of the ball and being a rim protector. Hopefully that happens. But, uh, you know, I'm you know, somebody that, you know, the day after the Durant trade said that Aiton's not going to get any shots unless or going to get very few shots or a largely reduced number of shots. And I'm sure if you look statistically, 
that exactly is exactly what happened. Uh, we can certainly get into much more surrounding uh, DeAndre Ayton, some potential, uh, you know, what what trade options are there? Is there anything in return uh, that could potentially be on the horizon for them? Or as Sean Devaney of Heavy.com is saying, uh, maybe we don't expect anything to happen right away, that we're going to have to wait until the summer. Also, I thought we could get into the top five defenses and the top five offenses of the 2023 upcoming season for the NFL. We'll also take your calls around 1030 and 1115 if you'd like to join the program. 602-260-1060 is the number for that. But we'll dive into some NFL discussion on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. Have you downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KTUS AM 1060. It's Wednesday. It's June 21st. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. Up until noon today, as we typically do, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, the 33rd using Chuck Pagano, former defensive coordinator. Uh, he put together his top five defenses for 2023. Thought we could go through some of these defenses here, and we'll start with number five. It's the Miami Dolphins, and Pagano says that uh, Vic Fangio, the Dolphins won the Vic Fangio sweepstakes. He's a great teacher, develops his players. They, of course, brought in Jalen Ramsey in the offseason as well. Um, certainly, they're making the moves to make themselves a better defense. Now it all has to uh, come to fruition this season. Yeah, um, you know, acknowledging Fangio's had success, I think bringing in Jalen Ramsey has a whole lot to do with uh, any improvement from the Miami defense, and Vic Fangio does. Number four on this list is the Cowboys. Uh, having Dan Quinn stay for a third year is very important to the reason why he has them listed as number four. You look at what they did statistically last year, fifth in points allowed in 20.1 20 points per game and first in takeaways with 33 for the season. They also upgraded at corner. Well, actually, let's have a conversation about that. Is this an upgrade? Stefan Gilmore, uh, just where he he currently is at in his career we know what he's been capable of doing when it whether it be with the bills or whether it be with the patriots but last year with the colts and now he's off with the cowboys is he still capable of being an elite corner that's a really good question i don't know um i think uh, just as importantly to me is you know i know they have digs on the other corner and yeah, he gave up a ton of big plays the last two. You know, he's a, you know, gambles on every pass that's thrown his direction, and then sometimes it works out for him. Seemed like last year it worked out less for him than it did during his rookie season two years ago. Uh, yes. In addition to that, uh, the Cowboys drafted Mozzie Smith to help with the run defense because that was an area of concern for the Cowboys defense. Uh, much better pass defender and getting after the quarterback than the run defense. Yeah, let me you – know, the Mozzie Smith thing, I'm curious about this. I mean, obviously, 
you know, pay attention to Michigan football a lot, being born in Columbus, Ohio. And he was number one on Bruce Feldman's freaks list before last season in college. I knew who Mozzie Smith was before that. I watched Mozzie Smith play, and I think they're, you know, Michigan, I thought, had a couple of defensive linemen last year, just based on last season, that were better than Mozzie Smith was. I think that's fair. Uh, number three on this list is the New York Jets. They finished fourth in points allowed at 18.6 points per game, and they ranked 10th in sacks. They have a lot of speed, can get after the quarterback, and of course we know about Sauce Gardner as well as DJ Reed at the corner position. I'm all in here. I mean, I've been you know, knocking the Jets' offensive line and will continue to do so because I can't imagine a scenario where their offensive line is going to get any better. Uh, before we get to the start of the season. Uh, but their defense, I mean, if anybody tries to knock the defense, I think they're crazy. The one thing that is of some concern is that Quinn and Williams didn't show up for minicamp, and there is speculation he's not going to show up for training camp. You know, so Sauce Gardner here, what he was able to accomplish last year, last year all done as a rookie. We often talk about quarterbacks that take us by storm in their rookie season and then there might be some regression in year two can we kind of say that that is something we've seen at the corner position as well or have we never really seen a corner have as much success and be as good as he was as sauce gardner was yeah i like sauce gardner when he was at uc at cincinnati in college i liked him last year but I think the unsaid thing about the Jets' defense last year is the improvement that their front seven made. And uh, anybody that plays in the defensive backfield, whether it's safety or corner, their job is much easier if you have a strong front seven. And the Jets' front seven, you know, I don't know who you know, grades these things, or I assume somebody does. But I would imagine their front seven was like the most improved in football from the year before. Number two on this list here is the Eagles. Considering how many players were expected to leave in free agency but didn't, that leaves the team in some good shape. They lost Jonathan Gannon, though, but they brought in Sean Desai to be their next defensive coordinator, drafted Jalen Carter, drafted Nolan Smith. They also uh, are going to have Keely Ringo and Sidney Brown added to the defense, according here to Chuck Pagano has him as number two. Yeah, I'm with all that. I mean, I'm curious to see who's number one now. <laughs> but uh, the Ringo thing, he's from Scottsdale, Saguaro, and he had, I think it's safe to say, I know Georgia won a national championship and he made some plays, but he didn't play nearly as well last year at Georgia than he did the year before. Uh, and there were a lot of, you know, he, went, he was not like a first-round pick. It was assumed – since he got out of hell, he might have been he might have been considered a first round pick when he was playing at Saguaro High School, uh, but he you know I think his level of play is suspect at this point in the NFL. I don't even know if he's anything other than nickel corner in the NFL. Probably no surprise here. Number one is the 49ers. Last year, they were ranked number one in yards allowed at 300.6 points per game. Number one in points allowed at just 16.3 points per game. They added Javon Hargrave. Uh, they are transitioning, though, away from D'Amico Ryans to Steve Wilkes. But they do have, according to Chuck Pagano, speed at all three levels of the defense. Agree with that. I do think there's some questions still in the secondary, which, you know, if they... They certainly, 
I mean, it's hard to say that, you know, rip the secondary that much and say they were the weak link because, you know, the, the, they have the best linebackers in the league. And as you mentioned, they've added to the already good defensive line. But between the fact that, you know, Steve Wilkes, I think, is while he was the worst coach in, you know, I would say since I've been here and uh, got here in 2002, uh, he's the worst coach slash manager, if you want to count baseball, that any of the major teams in this city have ever had. But he was just completely in over his head as a head coach. But I, I think a lot of people think he's a good defensive coordinator, but D'Amico Ryans uh, seemed to get the, the most out of a very talented group of players. If you were to look at this top five, would there be any teams that you would take out and replace? No, I think that's pretty fair. I mean, I, I'm not, not sure who I would replace them with. I'd have to maybe, you know, you know, study some rosters closer than I'm trying to do right now. <laughs> so, um, so I think that sounds fair. There's nobody. Let's put it this way: there's nobody in that list that I thought really. So we're good. The only two teams that I could possibly make arguments for, but then I think you can poke a lot of holes in it, would be uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, but you lose your best defensive player in, in the offseason, and then the Buffalo Bills, but they also have a lot of question marks as well on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I maybe could make a better case for the Bengals, but losing Bates is a big deal. Uh, the Bills lost several guys up the middle of their defense, and that I thought was the strength of their defense for several years. You know, inside linebackers, uh, they lost one of those. Edmonds left, and then you know the safety position is kind of in flux. Uh, so you know that I thought that those guys were they were all, you know, all four of those guys. If you know, you you, know, you count you know basically the, you know, the two inside linebackers and the two safeties. You know, I know that they weren't all healthy last year. But you know Milano and you know, who was tremendous, and and Edmonds and you know the safeties. You know, like I said, they weren't healthy last year. But when healthy, I think that those were the four best players on one team at those positions of any team in the league. And that is completely different heading into the season. I I don't think they really deserve. Uh, um, you know, at least I I wouldn't rank them as a possibility to be in the top five. But maybe the Bengals. Uh, but you know the Bates thing is, uh, you know, I don't think they have sufficiently replaced him. They're gonna try a rookie, right? So we'll see how that goes. You know, now that I'm looking at this, just uh, th- thinking about it, I don't know. I don't, I don't see them replacing any of the top five either. Uh, the Seahawks. No, no way. Uh, sorry, uh, maybe they just got. They're gonna need guys that didn't play that well in the front seven last year or you know at least didn't stand out in the front seven and they've made some additions but uh you know i just can't imagine that they're going to take a huge step up it would probably you know they, they had the lead plenty of games last year so i was actually going to say uh you know they might have the lead in more games which is always easier to play defense if you have a lead uh but you know they actually you know i'm guessing that you know, the 60% of the games uh, when that defense, or 60% of the time when that defense was on the field, they already had the lead last year. And it might, I probably would even better just higher than 60% of the time. Well, then I think we've done a great job of uh, walking ourselves through potential options, poking holes in them, and saying, you know what, this top five list works for us. Yeah, I think it's good.
Well, we'll do the offensive side. Obviously, it's not going to be Chuck Pagano doing the offensive side of the ball. It's going to be Mike Martz doing the offensive side of the ball. We'll see what we uh, come up with on, on, on that front on the other side of the break. But you can interrupt us. We'll talk uh, some NBA, some Suns, uh, NFL if you'd like, Diamondbacks, 602-260-1060. The D-backs actually getting underway uh, with a game here in the next hour. So we'll have some Diamondbacks discussion to start hour number two. But your call 602-260-1060 now. We'll talk to you on the other side of the break, as well as getting into Mike Martz for the 33rd as he put together his top five NFL offenses for 2023. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Show Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. He is Bob Kemp. I am Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the program. We're continuing some NFL discussion. We just wrapped up uh, the 33rds Chuck Pagano's top five defenses heading into 2023. Five Dolphins, four Cowboys, three Jets, two Eagles, one 49ers. Flipping it now to the offensive side of the ball and it's Mike Martz for the 33rd putting together his top five NFL offenses. Let's go with number five here, and he has listed the Buffalo Bills, but he has a caveat here that they could fall out of the top five this year, that time has caught up to the offense and they put everything on quarterback Josh Allen. They need to go back to running the football and doing it better and more efficiently, need to mix it in with the passing game. I don't know if they can. I mean, I'm I'm sensing, just maybe guessing, that I'm going to have a theme here because I think, uh, you know, some of the uh, offensive ratings, and I don't know if we'll find out if this is you know, the case with Martz or not, but offensive lines are kind of overlooked. And, you know, skilled players, I don't think anybody's going to argue skilled players for, I'm guessing, a lot of any of the teams probably in the top five, but... I'm not really sure if they can run the ball, if they really want to run the ball, because their offensive line, I think, is even during the so-called glory years here the last two or three seasons, I think that's been their weakness. I'm going to get us sidetracked a bit here, but you mentioned about offensive lines being overlooked, and I'm curious to know the per- the perception of the offensive lines, if it's something that's overlooked because – the, the college game is a bit different and there isn't such an emphasis on learning some of the, the techniques there and the fundamentals from, from an earlier age at the college level transferring over to the NFL. And then if that, that previous, uh, I guess, instillment of fundamentals isn't quite there, then the next level of bringing in some real big offensive line coaches to kind of coach up these younger NFL players, if that's what's not really being developed then at the next level. I'll take it even further. 
I mean, I think this all starts in high school or before. How many high school offenses? And I don't watch a ton of high school football games, but does anybody not run a spread offense? Does not does anybody actually have you know an offensive line where you don't have a, you know offensive linemen upright at the start of the you know, snap of the ball, at least you know, not not in three point stance or whatever. Um, so. I think it starts there. And I've heard plenty of college coaches talk about, you know, Bruce Arians used to talk about this uh, when he was here, that, you know, the developing offensive linemen are, is more difficult than it ever was previously because they just don't run standard NFL-type offenses at the high school or college level anymore. You know, and when I'm thinking about like offensive line coaches that have been dubbed gurus, obviously with the the New England Patriots and following that team more closely, Dante Scarnecchia and how he wanted to retire, the offensive line went into the toilet after he retired and they dragged him back for another couple of years. Uh, but just kind of like that emphasis, you don't really hear it talked a lot about on NFL teams about this is this is what we need to do, uh, whether it be to kind of help cover things up schematically, but then also trying to get those fundamentals to a whole new level to make the offense work in unison. I've just I've never really thought about this next thing before you just mentioned that about Starnekia, but is there like an off anybody that's a young offensive line guru coach? I don't know of one off the top of my head. I, I can't think of one. No. <laughs> It's all guys that were around 100 years ago, and the game was totally different then. Getting us back on track here. Well, actually, one more thing that got us off track. Do you think that that has something to do with maybe a shift in just analytical philosophy as opposed to we are going to just bully you in the trenches? I really don't. I just think it has everything to do with uh, you know co- how many colleges actually don't run spread offenses to some extent. Uh, you know, Alabama run. You know, remember they used to do this. Still, the I'm going to use the three yards and cloud of dust thing from a hundred years ago. But you know, they, you know, Nick Saban. No matter how many offensive coordinators he's gone through, and he's gone through many of them. Uh, you, know, you know, he has changed some, and uh, you know, but he still prefers to run the ball. I'm guessing that uh, you know they've developed offensive linemen. Uh, as well as any team and any you know, college team or any college program in the last you know, you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, so, but there aren't many programs like that. And you know, he has changed considerably. And you know, he, he realized that you just couldn't do that entirely, that you have to have some kind of a you know, passing game. And you know, he's you know, obviously he's you know, recruited quarterbacks whether it be Hertz or Tua or obviously Bryce Young that have more, you know, skill sets to the current college game that's, you know, kind of just everywhere. Do you think you can give, I guess, Lane Kiffin some credit for that kind of turn in philosophy with Alabama? Some, yeah, a little bit. But, you know, it was even going on. I forgot who the guy was before Lane Kiffin was there. I forgot I lost track of all my offensive coordinators at Alabama over the years. But like I mentioned, they they went through several uh, for you know a bunch. Of, he he's part of it for sure. But I thought there was a guy even there before Lane. So, uh, but even when Lane was there, they ran it was run first, 
Um, you know, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have the, uh, you know, the great quarterbacks for the most part, unless it was the last time, last, you know, year or two that land was there. So it was still, you know, running the ball first and playing defense and great special teams at Alabama. That's how they won for many years. That's how, you know, college football teams won for, uh, you know, like a hundred years or you know, maybe a little less than a hundred, but not that, you know, maybe 50 years. Getting us back on track here. We're talking about uh, Mike Martz. You got me going here. I Sorry. Know. <laughs> I, it's good, though. Uh, Mike Martz from the 33rd put together the top five NFL offenses, and we started with number five with the Buffalo Bills. Moving on to four, he has listed here the Philadelphia Eagles. They are a system team on offense, and that's okay, according to Martz. Do what they do every week, and they do it really well. Yeah, I'm also um, – if you count the offense, now this is a team that has a tremendous offensive line and still, and you know, with Kelsey staying, it seems like they've been able to keep those guys intact. Hopefully Lane Johnson can make it through an entire season healthy. We haven't seen that on a regular basis in recent seasons. Uh, but I'm very curious to see how the DeAndre Swift thing will work out. You know, he's a fantastic athlete, um, has you know highlight-making plays, can't always stay healthy, doesn't always hold on to the ball. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But, you know, the change that they made at running back, is that an upgrade? Number three here. Maybe this is a little bit surprising when we look at just kind of the teams that have currently been listed and their playoff prowess and success over the last couple of years. Moving into the third spot is the Detroit Lions. They are yeah, the I biggest. I coming as soon as you said that. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you did the premise, I knew the Lions were the next thing. Okay. Uh, the biggest surprises from last season. They have a great offensive line, and coordinator Ben yes. Johnson knows what he's doing, according to Martz. And then he also goes on to say that he likes rookie running back uh jameer gibbs yeah i do too talking about alabama running backs <laughs> but there you go and uh he's a tremendous pass catcher however and he was a georgia tech transfer and had the one year at uh, at alabama uh you mentioned the offensive line part here um if i'm not mistaken uh all five of their offensive linemen were first round picks if not they were like first or second round picks and uh, this is the second straight team here in this list. But their offensive line is tremendous and no issue whatsoever if healthy. Number two on the list is the Kansas City Chiefs. And then he says they will always be in the top two or three in offenses as long as Patrick Mahomes is quarterbacking the team and can stay on his feet, even though we were kind of joking about how he does so great in uh, the first segment <laughs> about being parallel. Um <laughs> Traded Tyreek Hill, and they still led the league in total offense last year with 413.6 uh, yards per game and scoring at 29.2 points per game. You can take the personnel, move them around, put them in positions, one-on-one -on -one situations all the time in an Andy Reid offense. Yeah, even though I do think that this is a team that has some offensive line questions, they're replacing both their tackles. Um and, you know, we saw when they had some offensive line questions in the Super Bowl against Tampa when, you know, when at that time Mahomes was parallel to the ground that whole game, and that wasn't because he uh, preferred to do that. That's because he got planted to the ground frequently in that one Super Bowl that they lost to Tampa. 
And number one on the list here is the San Francisco 49ers, ranked fifth in total offense last season. Shanahan, best offensive mind in the NFL, according to Martz. Uh, how ahead of the curve they are uh, with their formations and how they run the ball. Also, this is interesting. Martz believes Sam Darnold will start. Yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, I'm guessing whether that's based on he doesn't think that you know, Purdy or Lance are going to be completely healthy uh, by the time the season starts. So maybe that's part of his reasoning there. I think, once again, we have some offensive line questions here. Remember, they had to place their center before last season, and that wasn't the most solid position of all time. They had a somewhat unexpected retirement at center after the uh, 2021 season. Uh, and they have lost at least one more offensive lineman since the end of last season. So, um, uh, you know, the Shanahan, you know, the scheming and all the, you know, the, you know, the, the playmaking guys that they have on offense that we've talked about for lots of, especially when they played the Cardinals, but even when they're not playing the Cardinals, uh, you know, those, those guys are still out there, but I'm not sure if uh, the greatest schemer or whoever you think the greatest schemer is, whether it's Shanahan or not, if you don't have a, a solid group of offensive linemen in front of them, uh, I will say at least, I think that their, their skills are not as effective to some extent, at least, if you don't have you know, the blocking in front of those guys. So some teams that I think you could potentially make some cases for to be on this list, uh, but certainly you can poke some holes in it as well. The the three that come to mind for me would be the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, then the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I'm going to push back on the Charger thing because I just think that Justin Herbert has gone from the most underrated player in the NFL and somebody that I was – fully in support of when he came out of Oregon as a quarterback when hardly anybody else was to now just you got to make some big plays and big games and I don't think there's been enough criticism directed towards Herbert that they faded the last two years whether it be in the regular season two years ago he has been not good at all in red zone situations in most of their key losses he needs to get better at those things for them to take the next step. I don't care who the offensive coordinator is. He's the constant. He's the guy that when the game's been on the line, they've lost their biggest games. He's had a lot to do with that. Yeah, that was going to be kind of the area that I'd say was the poking of the hole for the Chargers is, uh, you know, one, injuries from a lot of the receiving core that they count on, but then also how much different is the offense going to look? Because obviously that's the philosophy change is Lombardi out and Kellen Moore in. To me, it doesn't matter. The quarterback's got to make plays when it matters the most at the most important time in the season, and he has failed each of the last two seasons in those situations. The Travelers Championship, it's an elevated event on the PGA Tour. We'll dive into it on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Your morning drive just got a little better. The Dan Patrick Show is live weekday morning starting at 6 exclusively on KDUS AM 1060. Putting World located in Scottsdale once 
6259 North Scottsdale Road. They're open Sunday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Friday and Saturday, 10 a.m. to midnight. Great food and drinks at Bar 19. They can provide you some help with your putting stroke, get you fit into the right pitter. Putter with the performance studios and all the technology and coaches you can imagine. And with the heat coming, and it's coming fast, the first day of summer is here. Uh, get out of the heat and enjoy some bragging rights with friends and family with Putting World. Check them out at puttingworld.com. The PGA Tour has moved. We were there a week ago today. We were. It was and very fun. It was, it was a lot was of fun. Interest, interesting place. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the technology just is amazing. The yeah. putting the putting surfaces are fantastic. Uh, I know I couldn't get you out there on the putting course, but I went around nah. it. Uh, had some fun doing that. Uh, shot under par, shot a little five under, so that was fun. And uh, All right. yeah. So, you know, it was good times. Uh, so you yeah. can go yourself. We'll have a $50 gift certificate available to you. Uh, not quite yet, though. The Travelers Championship on the PGA Tour, it is uh, coming to you from the New England area, being played at the TPC River Highlands. It's a par 70, 6,814 yards, bent grass for the putting surfaces. The PGA Tour made this an elevated event interesting because it's making for trying to figure out what direction to go in terms of who sets up well for this a bit challenging because you're coming off of a u.s open so maybe some of the top players that were in contention are a little fatigued mentally fatigued as well uh so you just kind of have to figure out where to go on that front in addition to that this course when you look at the data when you look at the statistics it doesn't favor a particular type of golfer it doesn't favor a short hitter it doesn't favor a long hitter it doesn't favor anybody in particular which makes for a great leaderboard it makes for a great lot of fun but when trying to figure out what to do betting wise you're thinking to yourself oh my gosh where do we go we're going Colin Morikawa 25 to 1 he's playing a little bit better golf the question marks are always with the putter but it looks like the approach game is starting to improve itself Tom Kim, top 30 at plus 155. We're also going Harris English, top 30 at plus 155. And Keegan Bradley for a top 30 at plus 190. Uh, sticking with his New England roots. Uh, we'll save the $50 gift certificate to uh, Putting World for our number two, which is coming up on the other side of the break. 